Uh, welcome one and all to episode 7 of Required Reading, a film podcast. I'm very glad to have you here with us in um, auditory form in the future. Um, my name is Alex. Thank you very much for joining and I'm joined here by Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello, Alex. How are you doing today? I got it right this time. You did. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Did you have a good day? It's all right. It's all right. What did you get up to? Uh, just things that do not <laughs> warrant inclusion in this show. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I did <laughs> similar. Um, good chat. This is Masters a... of small talk. This is a film podcast with a little bit of a difference. And now I've had a few people in the last week say that they've listened to the podcast. Very, very kind of you to do so. But had not seen the film that was um, that we were talking about. So mm. it didn't make a lot of sense. No. So maybe worth a reiteration that this podcast Watch the film is required reading. Required meaning that you should have watched the film because we're going to talk about it in depth. Um, and we do also... We don't talk about it in any sort of chronological manner as well. No. We're very flighty, very flighty with our discussion. And so if you haven't seen the film, it will make less sense than Even less. were we sort of dissecting it in a, in a slightly more orderly manner. Even lesser sense. Um, the film... Um, so consider yourself one from here on out. You know, we are we're very clear. Um, the film that we will be covering this episode is a film called The Killing of a Sacred Deer, a movie by uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Very well remembered. Um, he of other films that have a similar tone, although maybe not obviously um, subject, but um, definitely a threat. He's a Greek man. Yeah, he's a, he's a strange Greek man by all accounts. Um, so yes, The uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is available on Amazon Video Prime. So we're balancing out. We've been a little Netflix heavy on some of the other ones. We have. And uh, starring... give Jeff, Jeff Bezos his, uh, his oh, dues. And this film also stars Colin Farrell um, as the main, the main sort of draw and, to the... And Nicola Kittleman. And Nicola Kittleman as well. And, um, and some very good supporting younger actors. Yes. Which uh, we'll say right off the bat. I think we go to one of our um, one of our readers, listeners, reviews and thoughts of the film mm. first, right off the bat. And we have um, friend of the show Matt Lees who said, "What the fuck?" Um, as both mm. his thoughts and question, um, which probably a good place to start. It's a very um, open-ended question. What the fuck did you think of um, the killing of a sacred deer then? I liked The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I feel like I need to say it with l less emotion than that, actually. Um, where do I start? More stilted. Where do I start? In a much more sort of stilted fashion. Where do I start? Where do I start with this film? Okay. So, Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, I've not seen any of his Greek language films. Right. Grecian films. I feel bad about that. I do have Dogtooth in waiting. I yeah, that's very, very good. It's in the cellophane. It's in cellophane. Uh, digital cellophane. I um, did watch, however, The Lobster, which yeah. is my first introduction to his work, and Same. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and what, what I enjoy about his films, and this seems to be a running motif of his, is that he roots his 
films in a in a skewed reality mm-hmm. um, where something is always in amiss. Um, I don't think I'm not sure if magical realism is the right application of the of the genre to it. Um, the way he does it, I'd call it like black magical realism. Yeah, because it's always tinged with a a darkness and a sadness. And obviously, with the lobster, there was an assumption that in this world, mm. in his version of the lobster world, that um, if you weren't able to find a fulfilling relationship, yeah, by a certain deadline would then be turned into an animal and let loose in a forest yeah the killing of a sacred deer's wrinkle is that young teenage boys who hold a grudge are able to curse people yeah and everyone goes ah oh, no i've been cursed and there isn't really anything i can do about that and everyone well, well, that, just that's, that's, deals with it <laughs> that's what joins it together isn't it the lobster and these sort of mad conceits of the, of the story none of the plot of any of those movies is around challenging that it's an accepted law it's an accepted reality it's accepted completely no one goes wait a minute how is you know how is it possible you could mine that for narrative yes but he completely that's what i love what i love is the matter of factness with which those aspects of it are treated and what i like to think is that he does that because that allows him to explore the human condition when faced with something that we don't ordinarily have to deal with yeah so everything else is rooted in in reality except for the way that everyone speaks as well which is another um but isn't that a comment on just how we talk to each other and you know kubrick did it like tons and you know yes. we'll get onto it later the but. very sort of flat monotonous way i mean there are occasional bursts of emotion but mm. done within that but it's not just the 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 tone of the dialogue it's also the rhythm and the the the, the repetition and there's the, there are various aspect aspects throughout of the matter of fact way that certain things are said um Certain lines are delivered with about the same amount of sincerity you'd expect from a Tommy Wiseau film mm. at times, especially from some of the supporting characters in the hospital and things like that. Um, and ultimately, what he likes to do is use all these to uh, create a disquieting effect yeah. to, to sort of get under the audience's skin. Um, or in some cases, based on some of the responses we've got, uh, bore, bore them senseless. Yeah. Or, or but I, I've, I very much fall into the the former camp in that I I often find the the, the unease that he creates with these films really intoxicating. Yeah. I love trying to predict where it's going to go, and I love the fact that I can never predict where it's going to go. Which is which is funny with this film because when you take away all these sort of surrealist trappings mm. that come with the territory and I guess the <clears throat> the means of revenge that um, that Martin the the young uh, begrudged teen yeah. played brilliantly by Barry Keown this weird twitching awkward fumble of a of a boy yeah it's quite a it's quite a straightforward story. Yeah. If you ignore the way in which he enacts revenge, yes. what you're looking at is boy loses father, mm. the friend's man, actually uses it as a means to enact revenge on his family, yeah. an eye for an eye policy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that act of revenge is is fulfilled. Mm. The end. 
<laughs> but it's but were it that straightforward? Yeah, it's it's very now interesting his choice of how the how to enact that revenge because as you say with a simple twist of I will kill them if you don't make a decision in however long the fact that it's done in this manner and that there's obviously some kind of curse or magic something there that little twist just really flips everything else he just wills it to happen Mm. and he can and he also makes it apparent in one scene that he is at will able to undo it as well yeah when the uh, the daughter yeah is able to wander to the window. Yeah, that's a key. And that's when Nicole Kidman is like, uh oh, Martin mm. is Martin is bad juju. Yeah. So I I liked that. I liked that he had that power, that he had that control, and yet his ability to do that was in no way d- designated any sorts of remarkable status. Mm. At no point is it referred to. He's got a power. He's got a curse. Yeah, there yeah. are many filmmakers, lesser filmmakers, who would, who would, like you say earlier, would would run with that facet of it. Midi chlorians. Midi chlorians. They midi chlorian it. They over explain it, and he doesn't over explain it. It's like, who cares about that? Let's see what effect that has on a family. Yeah, that's more interesting than exploring the root of his power. Yeah, absolutely. Tedious. Um, yeah. This, I, on the other hand, is just a brilliant exploration of a. I guess a, a slightly quietly damaged family. Yeah. Trying to deal with this huge uh, upset when they were under the impression that they were perfect yeah. and fine. The appearance and the uh, and the behaviour. Let's talk about the like the girls for a second in the movie because they they definitely hold it together. Colin is is you know is the star. He's in the most mm. sort of sections. But I really feel first. I really like seeing Elisa Silverstone. That was thing. If if not for her very trademark mouth, mm. which is just this amorphous thing that just shifts around all the time, <laughs> I don't know if I would have recognised that it was her. Um, she's yeah, and it, but it, but yeah, she had a great little moment in it. Um, mm. Another classic moment of just awkward. Yeah. Um sort of darkly comic I don't know how I'd describe it anti-eroticism mm. I think I'd probably describe it at least I think if, least if, sexy approach to uh, trying to seduce someone if there's anything that the film gets wrong I think it could have found a way for her to be in it more like maybe in another later scene or something or in a side you know just but, her be around or something I yeah, would have quite I, liked I, I to see her again I would have perhaps liked to have seen her be visibly complicit in Martin's actions. Um, yeah. Especially with regard to when uh, Nicole Kidman goes to the house yeah. and he's eating the spaghetti and mm. tells that brilliant story about how he thinks he eats spaghetti like his father. Yeah. He's told he eats spaghetti like his father. But then it just explains that, oh, he, he flirts. Mm. With Colin Farrell's character flirts with the mother all the time. Yeah. And that he doesn't want to stand in the way of her true love and all that. Uh, and I think it would have added a nice, uh, another nice sort of twisted element to it if she was also totally on board with that, and yeah. on board with what he'd done, and also you know his his attempts to to bring them together. Yeah, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed her performance um, and Nicole Kidman. My sort of thought about how again how it ties this film together. Um, it also sort of really in real world ties the film together because it it has this 
Kubrickian rhythm throughout throughout it. So you're in the back to eyes wide shut. Is it? Yeah. So the music is a bit like it. The way they speak is a bit like other Kubrick films. But having Nicole Kidman in there as somebody who has done that with Kubrick has successfully delivered it and bringing her into the project and having her there just gives it this like anchor of authenticity in a way she is so key to the film i really enjoyed nicole kidman i've really developed a huge respect for nicole kidman very recently um i watched the show was it big little liars yeah yeah i thought was excellent yeah i thought she was supposed to be very good excellent as a, a lady in a very 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 damaging relationship one that was sort of a marriage of a, a, a abuse and sex mm. where the two were sort of um, completely intertwined and she couldn't separate the two. She she couldn't sort of reconcile the fact that she was in a violent relationship for a long time. Right, right. Because it was sort of the only way that her husband could... Anyway, she just put in an incredibly strong performance in, in, in that show. And I definitely saw elements of that Nicole Kidman in in this as well yeah. like very just just very brave decisions in terms of acting and uh using her body and her sexuality mm. in a way that really contributed to the story and first and foremost in a really cool way in in in, in again in an anti-erotic very powerful way mm. her strange the strange thing she has with her husband, the general anaesthetic. Yeah, yeah, that was um, very strange, wasn't it? Yeah, like a it's like a sub necrophiliac role playing mm. fantasy. They're kind of like she's out cold, not, yeah, not dead. Um, in the very sort of specific way that she drapes herself over mm. the bed, yeah, things like that. You know, I I, I love dark explorations of yeah the mundane family unit and the weird sort of twisted you know sexuality that that exists just beyond the beyond the veneer yeah it was it was really well done and um i think she she really showed some some sort of great poise and you know held scenes particularly there's the one where she um is is at the house and she just doesn't really question anything else than or or question that she just completely jumps to he was negligent wasn't he he'd like been drinking hadn't he you know oh it's when she goes to see the the doctor, the anesthesiologist. And it's amazing, like, the way that she holds that. It's like there's no nothing else in her than the knowledge that he has probably brought this about. Whatever's happened, whatever the whatever the mechanics or the context or what's happening in the story, it's it's the husband's fault because he did this fucking thing. And I just want to get to the bottom of it before I can process any of this other stuff. And the way that she brings that in a that sort of breaking bad, it's what you don't say cool way. I thought she really 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 did a good good job uh so yeah while we're on the subjects of that as well um uh raffi cassidy who played kim murphy the, the the daughter of the family oh yeah yeah um i thought she was great yes, as well I, really. I thought i thought everybody in it was great to be honest um i love but she did the draping thing when she was as well like the mum yes you know like oh man how did she know that what's you know what's well, the connection and she there was there was definitely a, a strange bond mm. going on yeah. with with her and martin yeah and that sort of awkward teenage love aspect mm. um was really intriguing the kind of um, and again because of because it's a lanthimos film that the whole thing is done so dispassionately and every mm. time she says things like i love you or i'm gonna run away with you and all it's it's just done this flat delivery and my favorite my favorite line of hers 
is is when she's basically saying to her brother, "You're the one they're going to pick to die," mm. and she's like, "Oh, yeah. I can't believe I've lost another MP3 player." Yeah, and just you know, he's trying to say, "No, I'm the one who's going to stay alive." They're kind of competing for their, yeah. their parents' affections at this point to be the one that gets kept alive. And she just like just says, "Oh, you know, when you're dead, can I yeah. have your MP3 player? Yeah. Please, please, please." It's like it's delivered like that, yeah. and it's so bleak. Yeah, it's it's really good. And I loved it. And and, and, also, and also, let's not forget her painful rendition of I don't know the name of the song, but the burn, burn, burn. Oh yes, song that she yeah, sings yeah. by the tree yeah. to Martin as well, which they just let go for yeah. the longest time. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's, great. It's, it's wonderful. It's so good that she wasn't a great singer, or she wasn't, a, you know, like it didn't make a, again a thing out of that. Didn't get any drama out of that. That oh god, how could he kill her with this beautiful voice or something? But no, you it's know, just like, very, it's very, it's this very sort of embarrassed, thin. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to sing in front of you, but I am going to. And yeah, very, very nice. Um, I just wanted to turn to a review because um, there's a line I wanted to talk about when you mentioned the anesthesiologist that um, made me laugh. Uh, so uh, Chris Schilling, who's Always good value, says... Uh, key contributor. Key contributor. Upgrade. The uh, So he didn't get on with it. The purposely flat monotone delivery of Lanthimos' characters both heightens the sense of unease, but deliberately, he questions in parentheses, creates an emotional distance. That artifice prevented me from engaging with the film, and so I didn't really get on with it. Kind of the opposite of me but i also have a question i've seen a few critics describe it as a comedy but outside one or two darkly amusing moments which raised a flicker of a smile but nothing more i didn't find it funny at all did either of you see it as a black comedy hmm so i was gonna say the line that made me laugh is when uh colin farrell's first justifying it saying a surgeon can't kill anyone an anesthesiologist yeah yeah uh, is always the one who's and responsible they... and then when she chats the yeah has mate, a callback yeah, he yeah, just yeah. says exactly the reverse, like like back to him, and I just like the. It's it's definitely gallows humor. It's definitely yeah. looking at the very darkest that you can be. I found the very final scene quite uh, surreal to the point of funniness. The spinning around with the gun. Let's get right to it. Yeah, right at the end, that that his version of and he kept missing Russian, with the hat on his head. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That Russian roulette that had like a slapstick comedy esque. Yeah. to it um, so I'd say that you know you, you can harrowing slapstick yeah, there's a new genre the the most harrowing version of, of slapstick <laughs> and talking about how we jump around to bits end of the film start of the film just yeah. quickly does does he shoot him at the end like is there any ambiguity there for you no no because there's a blood yeah but isn't that coming from his eyes no, no, it comes out of his chest. Oh, okay. So I kind of was just looking at it and, you know, wondering whether there was anything left there that it could have been from... from oh, possibly. Like, the way you know, I like s- that wouldn't have killed him or something. Or, you know, uh, something the way, the like way I saw it, it emerged from his chest and he, he did hit him. Yeah, but I, was, I saw the way that the, the shawl was over his head and it was coming down as though his eyes had really, like, banged out. Uh, like, really, he died. So it just, like, boshed out. And that's so he, why there's that ambiguity at the end. No, no. No, because Martin clearly stated he had to kill a family member for the revenge to be exacted. Yeah, that's why I thought that the bit at the end where they're cautiously watching him or they're acknowledging each other, there was a tinge of, have we got away with it? Does no, I does, think does Martin, it count? I think, I think Martin it, would I think. know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just like instinctively. 
it felt to me like he knew yeah. and like okay. that, that it might be a cul-de-sac it might be I just wondered whether at the end just there was a little it didn't strike me as there being any ambiguity cool yeah. uh, in, in that regard no no fair enough um, the the there's other moments that have just, you know, when when Colin Farrell's going mental because he says that they need witches' nails or something and some dragon's pubes. I can't remember mm. the exact line. He's yeah, like, he keeps going he's looking, pubes, he's looking he? around and thinking, "Have you got Oh, have you got? I'm oh, sorry, you haven't got any left." Yeah, you know that exchange I found funny. Yeah, but you know, as as Chris says, it's it's a as with a lot of black comedies, I don't ever really find myself laughing at Rory's things. They're not designed for that. They're designed for you to just go, huh, huh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't oh, laugh oh. out loud at Chris Morris stuff sometimes. You do have moments of it, but it does, there is like a... That's more That's more out, out and out comedy. It's like, um, what's what's the, the film we watched? The German three-hour... Oh, Tony Erdmann. Tony Erdmann, you know. It has its moments, but yeah. it's one of those things that's a, it's, it's, a, it's a comedy, but it's an anti-comedy in a way because yeah. every every easy avenue it had to get a laugh mm. it swerved away from yeah. but it made people laugh just through a sense of sort of general unease and things yeah. like that but that that said on the Chris Morris side I recently watched um, The Death of Stalin right and again that was so sort of near the knuckle in terms mm. of the reality of the situation which I, I find very much with the Inucci's work yeah um, like especially in the loop as well when mm. I think it's so depressingly close to just how petty and awful mm. people are that I, I generally can't find comedy in it or I can't find it funny I can enjoy it but I can't go, oh, oh, oh this is hilarious you know it, 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 it rings too true to me but isn't it funny with Iannucci that when it's him by himself it's that way when he collaborates with certain people they tend to round the edges like mm. um, isn't it Simon Blackwell isn't it some of the peep show people that helped with the oh, like Sam it? Bain and Jesse Armstrong oh yeah that's it yeah, and the, um, for the sake of it I believe so yeah, yeah so like it again they just allowed those Sort of softer I, I, I think, it, I think it's in. also to do with the the subject matter as well. The thick of it's just dealt with the general incompetence of the UK mm. government, but when in the loop dealt with the the sort of story behind the start of the illegal war on Iraq, mm. that was that was more disturbing. Yeah, yeah, because that actually had consequence that led to the loss of life. In, in real life yeah. and I imagine that he has people who've said this isn't you know this is the sort of story if you're going to do anything change a thing here change a thing there but it's not that far yeah, removed, yeah. that far it felt to me like it wasn't that far removed from the truth and that sort of upsets me right back um, to but yes back, back to the film so yes it's a comedy um, next one Ruth Williams, I hated it. I found it tedious and absurd. <laughs> I accept that maybe I just didn't get it, but I certainly wouldn't watch it again. Shall I? Um, somebody sent me a, a friend of mine uh, that listened all the way from America. Oh. Hello to you, Stu. Hello, um, America. There's, it's a bit of a sort of not as good um, Adam Buxton joke, this one. But um, on the... Um, YouTube page for the trailer for this film. Yeah. Uh, Cristobal Tapia de Vere has said, This trailer is a piece of art in its own right. I'll be staring at it a long time. 490 likes for that. Wow. I had a reply from Virus of Cyrus. <laughs> you made a big mistake. 
You accidentally said the trailer is a piece of art when you obviously meant to say the trailer is a piece of shit. <laughs> Anyone that thinks this trailer is good is one of the worst humans in history. Honestly, you're pathetic to say such a stupid thing. This trailer means nothing. Why can't you see this trailer couldn't be any worse? It tells us nothing. It's the opposite of a trailer. And that's had five likes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Uh, so def- not winning the popularity contest. No, no absolutely. What a, what a furious human being. <laughs> so make sure that I tell you about this, about your feelings about the trailer of a film. That's amazing. <laughs> and it? also, like, a, a trailer that doesn't tell you anything is like, that's the best kind of trailer. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly how trailers should be. And uh, sorry, and just to count that previous one, before that um, very good YouTube interjection, Austin Bookeridge says... Favourite film of last year. Ooh. Haven't been so emotionally wrenched by a film in a long time. And we are in truly divisive territory. Yes, we could be our most divisive one. Quite no, possibly. Well, bad. yes. I've, I've, I mean, certainly our most one of our most popular in terms of actually getting responses. Mm. Um, but it's, it's great to see. And what I like about this one is it's divisive in a way that I can completely understand as mm. well. Whereas some films... I, I just go, how on earth could you ever dislike this film? Yeah. Whereas this, I can easily see how a certain yeah. group of people no, absolutely. just wouldn't It's tough going like at, it. at, some, at some point. Um, and just Colin Farrell is the, is the, the linchpin that, mm. you know, that goes, he, he gives great beard in the film. <laughs> he is, you know, he does, he's the one that carries the most on his shoulders in terms of that stilted delivery. Yeah. Sometimes it lands and it's perfect because you either can key in or out of it. I think those are the key scenes. The ones where it's really, really brash and, and, and the kids almost acting him off the screen. Like some of those bits didn't quite land for me, but I can understand that maybe he's more, you know, he's obviously feels a sense of sort of guilt and when he's around him yeah. about not telling the family and it changes when they get together. Like I get it, but it's, yeah. you know, I thought that he was really good. Yeah. And I thought he was excellent in The Lobster as well. I think, I think. How the hell is he so good in really cheap budget or not like lower budget films and in like massive films be so like terrible like like you know i mean i think we've discussed this before but you know that kind of some acts well it's joel schumacher that's what you need to know but you know some actors are only as good as the people telling them what to do Mm. and that's not to say that they're bad actors or they're stupid it's just that sometimes you can perform in such a way that you think is right and the director will go no 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 that's not what I want I want this and you you have to respect the director's wishes yeah we've had this conversation about Adam Sandler yeah so in this case the reason this is his second film is clearly because they have a good working relationship they get each other and they get their respective strengths Mm. Um, it's like how does Mark Wahlberg do Boogie Nights and then do The Happening and the Transformers <laughs> films? It, it's more and more like Mark Wahlberg is a bad example. I think maybe Boogie Nights is just a complete fluke. He's been all right in other stuff. He was all right in The Departed. Uh, yeah, he's good, but he wasn't <laughs> in it that much. No. And he was doing a Boston accent. Where he's from. You know. I think this is in films are exclusively set in Boston. <laughs> he's absolutely fine, isn't he? You know, anyway. But again, yes, Colin Farrell, brilliant. Um, and Minority say, Report is obviously the exception to the rule. It's his big budget rule. That Fair enough. You know. 
he's and he's in it a lot and he's very good yeah. and um and in bruges i will say is actually one of my still my favorite performance of his yes his sense of despair and bubbling up and down and surfacing in a way of masculinity and he just sort of takes so much in and gives so much back without doing very much yeah. like i really like really really like that film everyone's very good in it too but he's particularly again ha- holds it together he's you know similar to how we're talking about robert pattinson he was someone who's very much thrust into the, the, the hollywood spotlight and thrown immediately into, into the big budget realm mm. but has never struck me as that kind of actor there's a certain type who thrive in those environments and he's just someone who strikes me as someone who's much better in these in these more introspective pieces that actually mm. ask him to to act and summon up a range of a, a range of emotions yeah as opposed to just being in these loud films that just don't really suit his personality whatsoever yeah he works in sort of in a confined space well or something you know yeah to, it's i've already talked about Brendan Keogh's performance, which mm. I think is amazing. I was trying to place him for the entire film and I right. realised he was in Dunkirk. Yes. I was like, ah, oh, that's where he's from. But this is such an amazing showcase mm. for him. This is, you'd you'd hope, the sort of performance that will open a lot of doors. Mm. Only challenge being is that he's he's got such a unique look about him mm. and his behaviour is so beautifully observed in such a way that you think, is he like that? That's the definition of yeah. amazing acting. Where you just like, is 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 he really that twitchy? Are some of those ticks. Yeah, he sells it. His mm. he sells them so well. The way he sometimes just opens his mouth at just at something so simple mm. is, is so effective. Just yeah. every every little gesture he does is so so well considered. So um, talking um, about sort of children or you know he's young. He's not like this. You know, the kids in the film. Like yeah, the non the not adults. They're sort of in between, aren't they? And, and we've sort of seen that sort of come to the fore with things like Stranger Things, and now we're all very on board with you know these kids having these quite weighty yes. uh, narratives and carrying it. Um, like I've always wondered how the hell do they do? How do they do it in terms of filming? Because these kids are often too young to take on these quite heavy concepts of these films. Do they let them know all of that? Do they only film the bits that they're doing and don't let them hear responses? Like some of these kids that are in these films and dealing with quite weighty subject matter. I do wonder when I did wonder when Colin Farrell tells the story of um, wanking his dad off. Yeah, to put it plainly. Yeah. I'm fairly sure that was framed in such a way that his son was off screen while he yeah. was recounting that yeah. story. <laughs> you would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what they told the boy, like mm. what he was actually reacting to. Yeah. <laughs> like, or when his parents finally saw the film and found out what Cully Farrell was sending a very stern email. Supposedly <laughs> saying to him. Um, oh man, that scene. Um, so. Fred Dutton, who's a friend of mine, uh, commented on Twitter, I will literally make you eat your own hair, was my favourite line from any movie from last year. Completely lost my shit in the cinema. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a, what a fantastic threat. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what an absolutely mind-blowing threat to, to give to a kid. Definitely. So, 
leading on from that, okay, talking about insults or best insults oh, okay, okay. of, of a uh, in films. Yeah, that is a pretty good one. Although it kind of has a bit of ambiguity about you know he's trying to convince him in a way he's not insulting him as such, but we well, kind of is anyway. <laughs> Insults in films. So I did you a little quiz. Oh, mid-discussion quiz time. If you would like to play along at home, uh, please do. Um, so we'll start with an easy one. No, it's, it's my game. It's, it's ten, 10 points are at stake here. It starts off easy. You're what the French call les incompetents. Oh, God. I'm going to be really bad at this. Okay. I'm really bad at quotes. <laughs> Funnily enough, you know what the French call Les Incompetents? Uh, oh, go on. Uh, it's from Home Alone. The sister says it uh, to, uh, oh, to Kevin right. McKay. I'm not as fond of that. All oh, right. Okay. Well, well, let's move on. That was supposed to be your easy one. So Shit. anyway, let's see how we go. Um, <laughs> I don't give a tuppenny fuck about your moral conundrum, you meat-headed shit sack. No. Once again, I don't give a tuppenny fuck about your moral conundrum, you meat-headed shit sack. I don't know. That's from Gangs of New York oh, by uh, DDL. Oh, well, you haven't seen it. Okay, well, this one I, you should get. Uh, you're just the afterbirth slithered out on your mother's filth. They should have put you in a glass jar on the mantelpiece. I don't know. I'm really bad with these. I don't know. You don't know? No. You sure? Honestly. It's There Will Be Blood. Oh, yeah. I've only seen okay. it once. Okay. Oh, God, this is Number four. badly. Yeah, well, let's, maybe it's more for the, re- the readers. Yeah, uh, thanks, readers. You dirt-eating piece of slime. You scum-sucking pig. You son of a motherless goat. Oh, fuck, I know this one. Give me a hint. It's um, got Steve Martin in, in the movie. Chevy Chase is in the movie. Martin Short. Oh, sh- shut up, it's Three Amigos. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Those were like one clue too well, many. I mean, we're on four. Yes, we're that on four, one. So, no, we'll let you have one because it would be, it'll be, uh, it would be a little tragic if you didn't have one. I'm very good on like taglines and okay. who was in what, but quotes, I'm shit. I wouldn't live with you if the world were flooded with piss and you lived in a tree. <laughs> Hint. Um, it's, is a children's film. It is uh, from 1989. It's got lots of kids in it. Kids and adults that look after them. Kids and adults that look after them? It's parenthood. It's parenthood. Okay. You can edit out the bit where you tell me it's parenthood. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, two points. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Um, Alex. Is it true when you were born, the doctor turned around and slapped your mother? Oh, I know that one as well. Play. It um, stars Hugo Weaving. Oh. Stars Hugo Weaving. It's not Priscilla, is it? It is Priscilla. Three, two stroke, three points. (laughs) Two stroke, three points going on the edit. (laughs) You're a cunt. You're a cunt now, and you've always been a cunt. And the only thing that's going to change is you're going to become an even bigger cunt. Maybe have some more cunt kids. You take that back about my fucking kids. No, you retract that about my fucking kids. <laughs> I'll take that back about your kind of kids. Uh, in Bruges. Yes. We, well we, done. We, that, that one gets thrown around the office quite a lot. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, yeah. <laughs> nice to know the tone of your workplace. Um, that's three stroke four. Um, Let's uh, just call it, is it three? 
you just met me, you human paraquat. Oh, that's another one that goes around the office and I've completely forgotten what it's from. Ash says this all the fucking time. Well, Ash should be here. He should be. There's so much better at quotes to me. I just, I generally keep quiet when that stuff's thrown around. You just met me, you you human paraquat. Go on. It's the big Lebowski. It is the big Lebowski. Fuck's sake. Okay. Three. Um, this is a this has got a this is a call and response. Oh, okay. Receptionist, how do you write women so well? The response is, I think of a man and take away reason and accountability. Oh, I know that one as well. <sighs> Shit. I think of a man and I take away reason <laughs> and accountability. Give me a hint. Um, Jack Nicholson, isn't it? Oh, as good as it gets. My excellent impression. Um, And number 10 (laughs) is um, uh, I used to fuck guys like you in prison. Uh, Hint. It's got Patrick Swayze in it. Oh, is it Roadhouse? (laughs) Yeah. Well, limped to a five. Limped. Limps to a... A hint laden. A hint laden five. Hint but laden hopefully five. you got them at home. Let me know. Uh, tweet yeah. me. Tweet on, yo uh, scores. Tweet yo scores at Alex, Alex, Alex. Um, that's Alex three times. Don't uh, tweet them at me because I don't want to know if you did better. Well, I think it's, there's a good chance people might have done better than that. Um, so, what? back to the film. What do you think the what do you what sits best with you? What 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 is the kid? Is he a god? <laughs> does he you know? Does he like some kind of demon? Does he? How does he have these powers? What kind of sits not the best important. with you? No, no, I know it's not. It's not. Yeah. I've no. It, you just can. Mm. In that world, have you? If you have been. Rightly wronged. Yeah. He says at one point, it's the only kind of justice I can... I can think of. I can think of. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I think I think like a... It's kind. like it's like a karmic... It's like, imagine if karma was legitimately real, but also controllable, and people could be held accountable karmically. What could be done to maintain karmic balance? Yeah. Um, karma's a bitch and he accrued so much like anti-karma or something he was able to but yeah he just he was wronged and and even though it's never expressly said it does feel that ultimately transpires that Colin Farrell was in some way responsible well there's definitely that thread if you go through back through the film like he gives him this expensive watch which he's talked to his friend about. And then there's a bit later on where he notices they have the same watch or he makes a point of saying it. Yeah. So, there's also a point when he's sat on the bed in the kid's bedroom and they've both got the same pair of trainers on as well. Yeah, yeah, the van's, van's bit. And so, and the way that it, that's, you know, that's handled. So there's obviously some deeper connection than he just want, is wants to talk to it's someone guilt. that he wants to knew. Yeah. Guilt. And he lies about in the very start about him being a patient. Um, right in the very says he's a patient also says that his dad died by crashing his car Mm. Um, it's guilt yeah that's that's very strongly suggested throughout throughout the entire film 
Um, and so, as I say at the start, what's what's the weird wrinkle of this particular Lanthimos realm, mm. as it were? And that's and that's it. Is that yeah. if you have been wronged, you can will revenge on people. Yeah, it it it's the same as the curse in um, the the Sam Raimi film. Oh, drag me to hell. Drag me to hell. Mm. Right, right. Um, very much that. It is. It is in many ways. Uh, and modern take on the gypsy curse. Hmm. Uh, it, that's what it felt like to me. But that does mine a lot of, oh, how does this work? What do I do to, you know, to get around it? They're they're dealing with the mechanics of the curse yeah. as part of it. And this they're all trying film, to undo it. You know, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, his, his method of undoing it is initially to try and shoot him. Hmm. But then, But then he says, well, if I die, I can't undo the curse. Yeah. So you know that 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 element of it, this this sort of this oh, almost supernatural horror element to it, is so downplayed. Yeah, that I I loved it. I love the idea that this fundamentally is is a horror film. Hmm. Um, yeah, he has some elements of being a monster later on, doesn't he? Where him appearing at. at at certain places and but that little flash you see of him go by in the car park, in the car park yeah. and there's a few little there's things there's little horror like, tropes yeah, in there really but just dealt bad. with from a completely mm. different angle and, 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 I, and I loved it I loved it when, I love it when people can be can take a genre and turn it on its head or make it feel like it's, it's their genuine original take on it mm. without just going oh we're going to subvert the genre in a, in a really heavy handed way that said fucking love Cabin in the Woods as yeah. an example, a, a film that does take a trope and then go, ha look at how we've turned it on its head. It's brilliant. You can never do it again. You can never make another film like Cabin in the Woods. No, can't be a sequel. Can't be a sequel, or you just can't make a film that does it in the same way. You have Scream, Cabin in the Woods, done. Um, and so you've got to explore other ways of dealing with the with the tropes of horror to keep it fresh and keep it original and keep it scary and keep it unnerving and keep it tense. And this film does all of those things um, but very rarely does it do anything that would traditionally be uh, considered horror. Mm. It, it just it the just, music, it, it just and the, the music, the 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 the, the, the strings, and the, mm. even even those are interpretations of horror, but used in the wrong places. Yes, exactly. They they just played over scenes, and they they're not used in a scene to build up. Oh, what's this building up to? Is there a jump scare? They they're used to more sort of punctuate action or. Or in some cases, transform a fairly mundane scene into something that just feels really unnerving. Yeah, it's um, it's a really interesting counterpoint to our last film, Good Time, which relies on the on on the score in certain sections, and it and it sits alongside it. Yeah, this score does it in a in a different way. Obviously, that's the job of a score, but. This one had a lot of like natural sounds and things banging and sort yeah. of not, it wasn't very orchestrated, a lot of it. Um, I don't think it's any less overbearing though because the times that it is mm. there, it's very high in the mix. It's yeah. very dominating. Yeah, yeah. And again, for the same reasons, I think, good time. Yeah, and it had, it had a similarity to The Shining, I think, in some of those ways. Yeah, mm. like a, well, funny enough, one of, the, one of the words I sort of had floating around my head was Kubrickian and not because of the delivery, but... Um, I also really love the way it's shot. One mm. thing we don't really talk about with Beautiful. the films a lot is, is is the framing of a lot of the scenes is is phenomenal. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a real 
di- diversity. He hasn't got like a trick that he returns to. You get sometimes you get these really intimate close-ups, mm. but then you get these really um, wide, like beautifully wide shots. Mm. But where people would typically use those shots in amazing vistas or something to convey how vast or epic a place is, mm. it, it, it's usually used in really clinical or mundane environments. And the, the, and the, the one scene where it was like, oh, Kubrick, there's a, an amazing um, symmetry to one scene where there's pillars on either side in like a in the hospital lobby mm. when Nicole Kidman's waiting and the camera sort of pushes in uh, and she's just off center yeah which feels very deliberate to me I saw that as quite symbolic weirdly I don't yeah. usually read that much into films the hospital is very interestingly shot though it has some of those long tracking when they're walking down the corridor yes. and it has a, a really high one where it was coming down it was almost like um, Scorsese and uh, Wolf of Wall Street going along mm. and you don't really see because it's going backwards like what what must be you know the, what's interfering with it and yeah. stuff like it's so well put together yeah. I, the hospital is a really is obviously a, an a location that means a lot you we're, we're there quite a bit yeah um but he really took the time to make that the one where the fancy shots were not their house and not the outside and not the, yeah. yeah and in in the vein of some of the best horror it's also unflinching when it needs to be unflinching and sometimes that's things like when the sun collapses which he does often <laughs> one of my favorite shots is when he's like i'm gonna go to the window and he just rolls out of bed and yeah, just yeah. splats on the floor <laughs> Weirdly, anything where colin farrell is like dragging him around yeah. or just leaving him to like collapse on the floor that's a, that, I mean, that probably says a lot about me that i actually found those bits quite funny as well well yeah um... it was that you know the sad reality of it was it was a desperation on Colin Farrell's side to go, Martin's fucking lying with me. He's fucking with my head, and everything that's happening is bullshit. Mm. And I, he was just willing his son to be faking it, and that hence the extreme threat to him to snap him out of this potential fakery conspiracy. I guess with Martin to to yeah, fuck yeah. Up, to fuck his dad up. Yeah, and and also, oh god, the scene where Martin bites his arm. Yeah, that's amazing. That scene, like to the point that, and a gr- again, great use of. Um, sound and the music. There's a brilliant moment that when he bites so far to tear out a chunk of flesh, mm. there's a there's like an orchestral, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a stab of there's strings of yeah, sorts yeah. at the same time. Just I don't know if it almost softens it, but of just hearing the the tearing of the flesh, yeah, but is designed to make you know the, really the hairs on your arm yeah. stand up as it happens when he, and then he spits it out mm. and he's like ah oh, that's fucking gross but, it, but the very you know big opening shot of the film is that is the is the operation isn't it you know the yeah. the chest open and it's pretty pretty mad isn't yeah. it like and right oh, from God, the get go how very... we not how can we not mention that yeah. i mean that is that is a shot that will have i did mention it you did sorry but it's a shot that will have people walking out of the cinema within the first it's so good it's, it's such it's, an interesting it's a one. really good i read a while ago i read um it seems like i'm going off topic but i'm not uh i read stuart lee's comedian stuart lee's uh like autobiography mm. as his approach to comedy and if you've ever been to his shows he loves jazz 
Yeah. And he loves really fucking difficult jazz. And he says he deliberately plays difficult jazz before he comes on stage. And yeah. he uses that as a means of gauging the audience. Because sometimes he'll spot people who's like, oh, what the fuck is this noise? And he'll be like, oh, they're the ones <laughs> who are going to be difficult to please or won't like this or are going to be arseholes because... Mm. That's such an interesting idea. It's, it's a really interesting thing. And I and I, and I mentioned uh, Gaspar Noe's Irreversible last week with the, 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 the queasy rotation and the opening of that film. I definitely think showing an open heart in lingering close-up open heart so surgery long. for so long kind of sets out the film stall very, very immediately. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I, I know what I'm in for. In, in such a cool way. What I was also going to say is another film that we watched together, which, again, oh. a lot of people hated, but I really enjoyed, was The Neon Demon. Yes. And I see this in many ways as a good companion piece to Ooh. it. Uh, a, a film that deals in very sort of deadpan delivery throughout. Yeah. Isn't um, doesn't have the appearance of a horror film for a big chunk, yeah. And then there's just one moment where you go, "Oh shit, mm. this is bad and weird and strange." Yeah. Um, Neon Demons comes a lot later into the into the film when it gets super gross. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I fucking love. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm I'm a, I'm a massive apologist for for him. Um, There's no apology necessary. Because if you just don't like those type of films, just don't watch because, them. Because I loved Only God Forgives as well, and yeah. not a lot of people like that. I but really I, like I that film. fucking love that film as well. So, um, sorry. sorry. I'm sorry, sorry people. Sorry. I, I, really like, I really like those films. Um, so yeah, I, I, I saw it in, in a very similar vein to that, and again, as, as people get very wound up by uh, Nicholas wanting reference films, I can see them getting similarly wound up by this. Um, I, I feel this is harder to this is harder to get than a whining reffin though, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, Nicholas Whining Reffin is obviously very keen on stylizing his his films. Lanthimos is is anti style. Yeah, is everyone's very? It, there's always a sort of a dowdiness and a coldness mm. to to what he like bleached does. Yeah. yeah, in terms of the way that it's, it's graded, everything. Mm. It's, while it's all remarkably framed and shot, you could never describe his films as particularly beautiful. or Maybe desolate. Desolate, I, I yeah. Think, yeah. I think and, and, but, beautiful in that way. But yeah. yeah um, but, but, but desolate. Desolate. really lush, isn't it? Desolate within the mundane, mm. yeah. Yeah. And as, as we talked, his, his use of angles throughout is constantly surprising and original and makes what typical films that would be set in these places feel very formulaic he manages to make a house feel really interesting he manages to make a hospital feel feel really interesting yeah um yeah i i I think he's incredibly talented so i was going to say with very Miss of me if our regular contributor James Buttress didn't get a word. Ah, in. of course. Um, he, I, I, re- I replied to him when he sent this because I, I didn't read his review. He always, he's always mega keen. He watches the films way before I watch them because of our policy of watching them shortly before recording the show. Yeah. Um. So he always sends me these reviews, and then I don't look at them yeah. or reply to them until about a week later because I don't want to see any spoilers. 
Right. So he said, but funny enough, after I read it, I was like, I basically 100% agree with you. And everything I'm probably about to say in this podcast will sound like I am just paraphrasing what you've written. So he says, uh, I can totally see how if you don't go along with it from the start, you'd think it was pretentious jizz with hideous characters and a stupid plot. <laughs> but I totally lapped it up. Deliciously uncomfortable, had me gripped from the start. Wonderful control performances across the board and a star turn from Barry Keown. In the end, actually a fairly run-of-the-mill revenge story, but inventively told with attention turned up to 11. Agreed. Agreed. That actually then inspired him to watch The Lobster, uh-huh. which he didn't enjoy as much. He right. thought that Killing of Segadir was by far the superior film. Oh, that's an interesting one. I definitely stayed with me longer um, thinking about it a lot more than I did when I saw The Lobster. I kind mm. of I felt that I unpacked The Lobster <laughs> um, pretty well. But, <laughs> um, but hmm, yeah, I think this one is better, isn't it? It's hard to say. I think like, the lobster did stick with me in a in a different way. That there was something more tragic and kind of weirdly romantic about that film. Whereas this is almost unrelentingly bleak. It, it it's the lobster it's, is too. But, but, but what I'm saying is that underneath it all, there's there's an element of tragedy and heart, and every, everything about this feels feels a, a little more aloof and hopeless. There's never really a sense of any. There's never a sense that there might be a happy ending. Yeah. In this one, um, Sophie's choice, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the most extreme version <laughs> of Sophie's choice. <laughs> Ever. And and it just gets seen through to its conclusion as well. It doesn't. There's no sort of last minute swerve or twist. Um, another thing I found weird was that I recently played God of War, the new PlayStation Four God of War, for a very long time. Yeah. I yeah I played it for a very long time. Yeah. And throughout that entire game, Kratos, the main character, is accompanied by his son. Atreus. And as I was watching the film, I was like, why why is that why does that kid's face ring a bell? Why why does his voice ring a bell? So this is Bob, this is the, yeah. the son. Turns out he's Sonny Soljic. Sonny Soljic is Atreus in God of War. Ah. The same sort of constantly sort of sullen expression. He's got very different hair, because yeah. he's a game character and it's set during Norse mythology. But it's unmistakable yeah. the sort of the, the likeness and the uh, and the, the delivery of the of the lines as well. So it's very strange to have immediately jumped from a game that I've obsessed over and for the next film I watched to feature the same kid. Yeah, yeah. And he's great. He is really good. And as and as my friend at work pointed out um, at one point in the game, you you kill a sacred deer, ah. or at least you try to. You hunt a sacred deer. Ah, or do you kill it? I think no. It's, it's no spoilers big... for people who play the game. Oh, it's not. It's, it's not. A, it's not a big thing. <laughs> is, but there is a hunt. I think you do kill. I think you do kill the deer. Yeah, you mm. kill a sacred deer. There you go. There you go. How about that? Um, so yeah, I think that's probably a thing to uh, thing to wrap it up. Have you got any other um, observations? Observations. Um, do we both think that the title is literally just a reference of the sacred deer being a an analogous to his family and having to make that choice of killing? Yeah, yeah. The um, the the other um, it would be remiss not to, to to bring it out. The other very intense theory is about uh, Greek mythology, and it's 
it's connections there to the um, story of Agamemnon returning and um, talking about him sacrificing his daughter to be able to get good fair winds to get back to um to home it's um i don't really know it well enough but it's um it's quite interesting and i kind of feel that the title helps allude to a higher sort of plane of of kind of thinking in a cool way that sort of sets the tone i don't really know alternatively what you could have called it but well uh, you know in, in that regard returning to um the director's sort of penchant for adding elements of the fantastical without really striving to explain why they exist. It is very, it is very much what happened in Shakespeare's plays. It's what yeah. happens in myth. It's it's a very common thing. It's only recently that we've become obsessed with understanding wh- wh- how magic works. Yeah. It used to be enough that you'd watch a magic trick and you'd just go, wow, how did he do that? We'd mm. accept that it was magic or you'd watch Star Wars and go, oh, there are Jedis who use the Force and have lightsabers. Yeah. But there's always a little community that has to go, well, what's the technical makeup of the lightsaber? What's, <laughs> what's the actual driving force behind the Force? You know, mm. people who have to know that shit because it adds nothing. It tells no. you nothing more about the people. It tells you nothing more about the characters. It's just noise. Mm. And good writers and good directors steer clear of the noise and have elements that are just accepted facts within that world and you deal with it because everyone there has dealt with it. And the moment you start explaining it, what you're doing is you're talking to the audience. You're not mm. talking to the people in the film anymore. Um, and yes, and so if this is indeed a, a Greek director mm. bringing in elements of ancient Greek mythology contemporizing them yeah so be it yeah absolutely uh but i don't necessarily think that the the analogy needs to be any more than that no um it's just if that if there is any degree of transposition i think it's a really interesting and successful one but isn't it funny you know you bring up star wars and you think because that's set in a galaxy far far away a long time ago that it allows you to jump to those fantastical and accept the fantastical that much easier. When you have something like this, which is primarily very um, sort of normal in how people talk to each other and then add this element in it, there's um, like an uncanny valley or something because it's so close, it's harder to accept that that sort of yeah, unrealistic think, thing. Think, no, genuinely, I think that's, that's it. It's like, if it, it's not fucking Harry Potter, mm. people are like, oh, well, this looks like, well, I know this, well, well this doesn't happen. I can't suspend this, yeah, yeah. I can't suspend disbelief. Like, uh, and, and that's, that's their fault. Mm. I don't care about those people. It's just like, if you can't suspend disbelief, you're watching a film. The moment you're watching a piece yeah. of fiction, you, you kind of have to accept that as long as it doesn't hurt yeah, just the, go with the, it. The characters, it doesn't hurt the plot or anything like that. You know, because people are so obsessed with plot holes, for example. Mm. And sometimes people don't realise sometimes these things exist because they create dramatic tension. Mm. And that's what you need in a drama. It's all well and good being fucking, you know, facetious face and saying, oh, well, they could have done this. Case in point, Infinity War. There's a grand scheme that the villain has. Mm. And obviously people are like, well, why doesn't he do the opposite of that? And everyone's like, that would be a fucking shit film, wouldn't yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
oh look here's a guy who's gathering all these stones to do a really benevolent act yeah. and all the Avengers are there to help him find the stones what a great film that would be yeah. just die in a fire frankly no just maybe not that maybe not that violent just go no you don't You. I know what you're like but <laughs> I'm allowed to have my opinions and die in a fire so <laughs> you are I'm not trying to dissuade you from from saying people should die in a fire yeah well, I support, they should, they, well, I support you should at least art. at least just stick your hand in the oven for a spell see how it feels see how it feels see how it feels so that's and then um, I'll stick my hand in the oven that's the closest analogy I can come up with that's perfect that's a call back to the film it's perfect and I, well, I, my um, thing, I was going to sing a song like I did last episode. I was thinking about Jeepers Creepers because of the eyes. Where'd you get those eyes? And it kind of made me think of that at the end of the film because you go, Jeepers Creepers, that was a mad film. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, that's my... Uh... <laughs> for, for listeners who don't know, Alex, he was born in the 1930s. That's right, that's right. Jeepers Creepers! Um, Wowee! My... Uh, my dad joke shall bring our discussion of the film to an end. Um, I feel thumbs up for thumbs, me. Thumbs firmly up. Firmly up. So that's a, yes. that, that's a McCartney. That's two thumbs up. Great film, guys. Great film, guys. Um, so thank you. Um, that was my impression. It's good. It's better than mine. <laughs> fucking terrible. Um, uh, so yeah, so we shall move on to our news section. If you so. Extra If chat. you will join me for a quick take you by the hand Alex lead me I will I shall to the world of news Um, wow excellent it's amazing here there is going to be a Bill and Ted movie a third Bill and Ted movie well you know a new one yes it's a long long rumoured finally funded I believe yep years of speculation um, but the rights have been shopped around at Cannes, um, which is normally a good um, sign that. Uh, oh, the, really? The it's rights, definitely happening. Yeah, the rights have been um, fantastic. So, and of course, Winter and Reeves are on board. So, um, the film does have a title, which is Bill and Ted Face the Music. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very interested. In so, that apparently, the plot of this one is it's another time travel one. Right. Um, I believe the 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 premise is is that there's a certain song that they have to write in order to yeah save the world yeah as, as they everything they do <laughs> apparently leads to uh, but I believe they have to go into the future and steal the song from their older selves right um, and the other quite exciting thing is sadly George Carlin is no longer with us so no Rufus but um, the chap who played Death. Yeah, he's yeah. apparently also returning. Okay, great. As that character. Not oh. sure about Station, though. No, Station. maybe we do without Station. Um, uh, but it would be great. Well, I guess because they're going to the future, they might not be uh, recruiting lots of historical characters again. Yeah. Which I'd love to see Napoleon come back. So, <laughs> um, so um, <laughs> the next uh, next bit Higgy of um, it is... is um, could Ben Wheatley be uh, doing a Silver Surfer movie? That's my oh Silver um, Surfer is no, no, that no. is that what you think? Uh, well, that's just my editorialising. Yes, do you know how it was leaked? Yes, um, by Bob Mortimer, <laughs> a drunken Adam Buxton podcast. That's right, and even more surreally, yeah. is because they were working together on a Michael Jackson film <laughs> about about a practice glove. <laughs> 
And I was like, oh, I want to see that film. Yeah. I want to see the Bob Mortimer Ben Wheatley. Definitely. As, as much as I love Ben Wheatley to get his hands on um, on a Marvel property, I would much rather see a film written, you know, or he can do, but he can go back to it. I hope he goes back to it. Definitely. Um, yeah, very interested to see what a, uh, Ben Whitley film, Marvel film would be. I'm not saying it is. Well, someone, because what was interesting is people didn't know because obviously Bob Morseberg probably couldn't say more than that or knew more than that. Mm. No one knows which school of Marvel film we're talking about. The Disney Fox thing is still in the air and Comcast has weighed in and potentially scuppered the deal. Right. Um, so we'll see if Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer and Galactus and co return back to uh, they could lend him. The MCU, I really hope they do. They could lend him. I'm, I'm quite someone... happy with Galactus and everyone else staying behind to just get Silver Surfer in to help bosh old Thanos. I can't have Silver Surfer without Galactus, man. Well... If it's in the timeline later on when he's dealing with Thanos and he's broken away. But the the interesting theory I saw was that they think he might be tackling Doctor Strange too. Right. Because um, well, someone that. pointed out Field in England deals with, in a, in a far more low budget way, this trippy visual state. Uh, and I'd be really excited about a Doctor Strange film that no longer has to worry about explaining Doctor Strange. Absolutely. Because that entire first one is basically like, we don't trust you to be smart enough. We have to explain everything. everything. <laughs> it's, it's, it's exposition, the movie. It's it's like the most beautiful series of exposition. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, an exposition-free film. I mean, in, in Light of Infinity War, where he just does his shit, and everyone's yeah. like, Doctor Strange is fucking cool. It's like, he's good, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let just, him get on with his Just stuff. let you know you know yeah. what he's about. It's like, it's it's fucking cool, isn't it? Well, I've, been, um, I've, I've read somewhere it's that... Now the, um, Doctor Strange is now the third best Doctor Strange movie. That, um, um, saying about um, Ant-Man has helped sell, sell that zone uh, now, so we... Oh, the quantum realm. Yeah, we can now accept that you could move within that, which is obviously where Doctor Strange does mm. his, some of his best work. Yeah. Um, so that's a weird a weird hand in that. The the other side of it is that Ben Wheatley could be on the Fox side, Fox being a lot more trusting now of the adult end of the superhero spectrum with Deadpool and Logan. Mm. So I don't know if there's anybody else within that realm that he could tackle. Well, there is supposed to be a talks about a Deadpool and Logan film. Well, there's there's talks of that and also X Force, but Drew Goddard is doing that, which right. is the follow up to Deadpool too. So I'm quite excited about Drew Goddard handling that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, if it's true, <laughs> I'd be really really interested to know a what he's doing and b how the fuck. Somebody looked up his his over over mm. and went. That's the guy. For that's us. the guy. That's I the want. guy for us. <laughs> awesome. Um, so uh, something I've got my eye on. Hmm. Hmm. Um, the new Gillian Jacobs movie. Have you seen anything about this? No. It's a new Adam McKay um, thing. Um, it looks a little broad. In its um, in its scope, sexist. Um, <laughs> um, it looks like a kind of a bit of a comedy buddy comedy thing. Um, it's called Ibiza, um, and is about Gillian Jacobs going to Ibiza. 
Um, I thought that is broad. If you hadn't seen the trailer, I wondered if we do a little bit of we shot music while you just while you have a look at it. Okay. And then uh, so um, yeah, just leave it in, and I'll put I'll put it in, and we look it up on your phone. I'm venturing to YouTube right now. Okay. Um, what's it called? Ibiza. Ibiza. Film. Oh, it's a Netflix film. Yes. Bond on. So we are we're back after um, Dan has watched the uh, trailer for Ibiza. I think you mean Ibiza. Ibiza. Yes. <laughs> what do you think? They fucking should have told them how to pronounce Ibiza. That, that would that would be key, wouldn't it? Ibiza. Um, that looks fucking shocking. <laughs> it's as as nice as it is to see Gillian Jacobs leading a film, and yeah. I do appreciate a jizz joke. Yeah. Very good jizz joke at the end. Mm. And it's very often that I go on work trips and we joke about how much jizz is yeah. that the walls are festooned with, uh, actually written in with a good blacklight gag. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think I'll be rushing to watch that one. I think that's going to be one of our new podcast features. I'm going to make you watch questionable trailers. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and just get your reaction on. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I was a YouTuber, what I probably would have done is made a fifteen-minute video. Yeah, uh, got really, you know, ranted about individual bits and just talked at length unnecessarily about. But yeah, I think that was a far more succinct. So, balanced summary of Ibiza, Ibiza, Ibiza. Um, so next bit of news: um, which game will? the Resident Evil team take on next Monster Hunter ah. oh yay Miller um, Miller and the bad filming in Paul South Anderson. Africa according to an inside source yes i.e. one of Ash's mates who's working on it oh um, yeah I, I knew that Paul W.S. W. S. Anderson was working on it the worst of the Paul Andersons the worst of the Paul Andersons and that's all of the Paul Andersons including just Random ones that you can find on Facebook. Um, <laughs> the millions of Paul Anderson. The millions of he's the worst one. There's probably a serial killer, Paul Anderson, but he didn't make Resident Evil. So, well, so many of them. So here's the thing. Um, what's the, what's that other director? Is it Len Wiseman? You know the way he always casts his wife, ba- right. Kate Bait Keckinsale, Kate Beckinsale in, in his films, Bait Keckinsale. Uh, in the underworld films that just mm. seem to exist, someone gives them money to someone make those films. Someone seems to want more of them. Someone wants that that to happen. Um, yeah, it's like oh, so you've just done seven hundred and twelve Resident Evil films with your wife Mila Jovovich. Yeah. What are you going to do next? I'm going to make a monster film, and I'm going to cast my wife Mila Jovovich <laughs> in it. Yes, definitely, definitely her. I She's know the someone perfect, perfect for this. Yes, we can save on hotel bills. 
because she's also my wife. Yes. Uh, who I've worked with lots of other times. And the budget saving allowed us for many more effects. Many, many more digital many effects. More digital effects. Um, so, needless to say, despite Monster Hunter being one of my all-time favourite game series, hopes are not high. Hopes aren't high, are they? Right. So, um, we very often touch on Star Wars uh, news yeah. in our podcast. So, I was going to try and do a new, another new format, like my wildly successful Dan Watches a Trailer uh, <laughs> section from earlier. <laughs> Um, Look out for the spin-off podcast very <laughs> coming soon. very soon. Um, so this is going to be a quick fire. Give me your thoughts on this. There's no C-3PO in Solo, meaning this is the first Star Wars film not to feature the robot. What do you think? So what? Mark Hamill says that he approves of uh, Solo. Brilliant. So does Harrison Ford. Um, Obi-Wan apparently starts shooting next year. Who? Who is it? But there's no official announcement yet. Will it feature McGregor? Maybe. <laughs> um, word is that Stephen Daldry is in very, uh, very early talks to make it. Do you know who he is? I know the name. He has directed Billy Elliot and The Hours. What do you think about that? Fine. <laughs> I'm fine with this. And that comes takes brings to the end of my new section. Wow. I think both of them have really been hit. Um, the trailer section. I enjoy um, Dan reacts indifferently Dan to... Dan reacts indifferently to various... <laughs> monosyllabically. Um, this new one about Star Wars. I, I like that. That's, that's really going to take feature. off. Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> next, a maths-based one. How much... <laughs> how much did RDJ make every minute of screen time for Infinity War? How much did Robert Downey Jr. make for every minute of screen time? Or you can do every second. It's up to you. Um, my guess is... 750,000... No. Every minute of screen time. Every minute of screen time. We'd like to know how many minutes he was on screen for. Yes. 15. Oh, then he made uh, 2.3 million. He made... Half a million dollars a minute oh. on Avengers Infinity War. That is over eight grand a second. It's not bad, but not bad payday. It's that, not is bad it? when you consider how many people are in that film. I was he, surprised how little that is. What well, he's by far the highest paid MCU actor. Like a lot of them are on fairly compared to film other films of the, that size. A lot of them are on much lower contracts. Than you would mm. expect. Yeah, Jeremy um, Renner's not getting as much as. Uh, no, as he RDJ. didn't. He didn't really earn his keep in that one. No. Um, but yeah, I, I think for a lot of them, it was their breakthrough role. Um, so they, they, they signed a they, deal. They signed a deal, but you know, if if you're going to be guaranteed to star in the highest grossing films of all time consistently, mm. what like why the why the fuck wouldn't you? Part of the fact they're probably really boring to make. Um, yeah, it's Mad Dolly, y'all. Um, and and finally, of our new section, just a uh, required reading um, R.I.P. section for Margot Kidder. Oh, yes. The, the definitive uh, Lois Lane, um, of course. And um, notable that I wanted to bring up, um, as she was one of the people that really stood up for uh, Richard Donner being fired. 
uh, in um, in oh, two. Oh, really? Um, she really brought it up. She said, "You're making a mistake. It's a much better film with him in it. He helped." bring the character and know what it is. He really gets the best out of uh, Christopher Reeve. And when you see the Richard Donner cut, all the good stuff from Superman 2 is what he shot and all the bad stuff is what um, um, was, was shot afterwards. Um, so yeah, Margot Kiddo, I think, was very cool in doing that. And it also meant that in Superman 3, if you remember, they basically had her in for her contracted... For, to basically her contract, yeah. the contracted amount. So that's why she's in it and then she goes on holiday for the whole thing <laughs> yeah. and then comes back. So yeah, um, you know, it was a big big call to make and um, uh, and she made it. Obviously had a very troubled time. Yeah, later yeah, absolutely. On. And, um, but for me, I definitely thought of like really fondly and, and as a... You know, a alongside Carrie Fisher actually, like the one of the strong female figures I was mm. exposed to as, as a kid. Absolutely. Um, and as you say... There hasn't been a Lois Lane that's come close, come anywhere near. Just that complexity of it's not a bimbo, it's not somebody that is is trading solely on their looks. Is really talented, and this was, you know, this is you know progressive idea. You know, she she you know the best writer for the paper. She's the person that leads. She basically runs mm. the fucking paper. She tells the you know the editor in chief what to do and that she's doing this and doing that and in a completely organic way. The way that everyone reacts to her is totally like holy shit. This is, I'm just going to be on this person's good side. Substituting cool her way. with Kate Bosworth. <laughs> That was a real, real misstep, wasn't it? What the fuck was Singer thinking? Yeah, yeah. it was, oh, it was, dude. A... And then like Amy Adams, who's a fantastic actress, being lumped with Snyder's dialogue or yeah. David Goyer's dialogue, whatever the fuck wrote it. And she does really well with it. Like she is my favorite thing about those films, like by quite a way. Like... She has one of the most annoying lines when you know he's got the S on his chest hmm. and he's trying to explain what it means on his planet. Because where I'm from is an S. It's like that's just fucking rude, man. That is like that is the epitome of an American's approach to foreign culture. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I never thought of that. That got that got my hackles up as soon as I heard that. You're not not my Lois Lane, not my LL. Um, (laughs) Right. Uh, So yes, and so now brings us to the end of our news post um, talk section um, with two two new winners in there. I'm definitely going to keep those. Um, and we'll go on to our recommendation section. Oh, yes. Um, I'm going to go first today. A very quick one. Just a simple, good, just watch it, don't ask questions. It's um, A Most Violent Year. Oh, is on Oscar Netflix. Isaac. Oscar Isaac, uh, Jessica Chastain. Really good film. Real shades of The Godfather. Got real shades of uh, well, just that new style film. Again, I'm referencing The Drop, which I really, really love. Just really authentic performances real you know small in scope it's just a guy in his business it's not world you know world spanning so yep. it's really worth and it's short and it's worth spending time you know with with those characters for a bit so yeah on netflix a most violent year most violent year what is your recommendation uh, my recommendation is the documentary series wild wild country uh, on netflix uh-huh um, you finally finished it. Finally finished it. Produced by the uh, Duplass brothers. Ah. Not directed, but very nice of them. It's actually directed by um, the Maybe brothers. The Way brothers. Well, they're, they're, one's called McLean and one's called Chapman. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a fascinating slice of 
late 70s, early 80s history, something that was globally known, and yet I knew absolutely nothing mm. about it. It's a fascinating story. Um, I won't tell you too much about it. No, no, no. Um, but it's a very... The trailer does a good job of getting the yes, across. Yes, a, a, a very charismatic leader of a new religion. Mm. Um, I'm loath to say the word cult. Yeah. I think that's what it's playing with, isn't it? The definition. I think for reasons that I don't know. I I would be personally. I think a lot of people watching other occult. I'm, right. per, I'm personally loath to call it a cult. Um, and it's sort of how ideas of this one man in India, which I personally found very. Uh, What's the word? Enticing. Mm. Very rarely have I heard anybody deal with spiritualism in a way that I find interesting because I'm, I'm, I don't buy into it. His, his, Not a believer. But the Bhagwan, his, his name Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, his take on it is very contemporary and it's married with the trappings of materialism. Right. And it's like you don't have to reject one to have the other. You don't need to reject materialism to have a spiritual side or to at least be in tune with yourself and fellow humans and to be a good person. Mm. You can make money but also be a good person. Yeah. It's very possible to do that. So there are, there are elements of, I guess, socialism and you know communism and other, and other, other very controversial sort of left-wing things intermingled with a very you know spiritual side. Anyway... Going too deep into it, but anyway, it's it's kind of about how these ideals and this is very much the way with ideologies and yeah. dreams of utopian societies, how they can very easily become corrupted. Of course. How a a bad egg um, can can change those, mm. um, and how the word of one person can be misconstrued, distorted. Uh, and and ultimately corrupted, mm. owing to individual interpretation and and zealotry, oh. uh, and also it then deals with the other side of it, the other side of the fence, which is the prejudices you face when you are thrown into a culture that already has its own set of values and its own religious values and and beliefs. I don't think anybody comes out looking particularly good in it right um but it's yeah it's it's fascinating it's wild you just can't believe some of the shit that happened um it's 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 mental and they've got incredible access to footage that was shot around the uh the sort of town they built rajneesh Puram. uh it's just a, just a crazy crazy story possibly an episode over long as is does happen with Netflix. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think it could have benefited from either shorter episodes or just a more judicious trim. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but overall, I think I think it's interesting enough mm. uh, to, to to keep you keep you in, not not to compare it to I haven't seen it, so I can't compare it to anything. But uh, making a murderer, yes. definitely had those episodes where you're like, I've just totally wasted like time yes. like with this section of it and it's obviously just to get the episode count yeah. you know after yeah, or whatever because yeah, yeah. they did they did run out of yeah. the 
Nina the, the Net. I mean, it's got to be said, Netflix are smashing it yeah. with their documentaries. Oh, yeah. uh, also recommend The Keepers. Keepers. If you just want to be convinced that Catholicism is a fucking pits, man. Watch Don't we the, all? Watch The Keepers. Thank you very much. That brings us to the end of our episode. Um, all that remains is to tell you what film we're doing next. And that will be The Wailing. <laughs> The Wailing. The Wailing. Can you tell us a little bit about this? What little you know? Uh, the Wailing is about a group of hardy seamen that go out to the ocean yeah. to bag themselves. Away. No, it's The Wailing. W-A-I-L-I-N-G. What I did there is like, ha, ha, fun with homonyms. Um, uh, the Wailing is a film I know fuck all about. All I know is that it's a very highly acclaimed yes. Korean... That's right, you're going to have to do some reading. It's a Korean horror film. It's also really long. It's two and a half <laughs> hours long. It's two and a half hours long. It's Korean horror. But it was regularly featured in the best of lists of yeah. 2016. I think that might be right. Let me check. Um, oh, no. Anyway. But, but yes, and that really... That really piqued my interest yeah, because agreed. it was it was one of the most consistently well received films and two and a half hour horror film doesn't usually uh, doesn't usually receive that sort of acclaim. So yeah, I guess off the back of what I consider was a fairly um, alternative take on what one would consider a horror film, yeah, maybe it's time to watch something that's potentially a little more traditional. Excellent. Well, um, thank you very much for joining me here. Um, Say goodbye. Goodbye. And goodbye to you all. Goodbye.
Thank you.